Let's have a sincere conversation about events across the nation and topics for our own morality. Let's openly discuss in an environment of trust where perception is reality. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, Perception is Reality. It is your host, David, welcoming you back for another week. And if you're new and you just found me, welcome to the family. Today, I'm being joined uh, by my new friend, Brandon Queen. Brandon, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, David. Thank you for being here. Can you... So, I like full disclosure podcast, so uh, everybody knows uh, Brandon and I are now friends for life because we just talked for a few minutes in the green room and that automatically as everybody knows means that uh, we're friends for life now um, <clears throat> and uh, that's all I know about Brandon so here's what else I know I know he's got a podcast on anchor which he's going to tell us about in a moment and I stalked him on anchor slack channel to get him to become a guest and I thank him for being here it's been a challenge but here it is <laughs> Hey, one thing about this podcast is it's a life happens podcast. I have had um, moms with children in the background. I have had people calling in from their cars. I have had everything. And you know what? That's all okay because these are things that happen in real life. And this is a real life podcast. I mean, um, I don't, all of my returning visitors understand this. And if you're new, that's what this is about. Like there's going to be noise in the background. There might be a dog barking. I don't edit, edit any of that out because this is a real conversation, um, between, between, uh, my new friend, Brandon and myself. Um, Sweet. so can you tell us, um, if I remember, so I don't like to know, I try to know as little about my guests as possible so I can come in um without any preconceptions uh because perception is reality that's the name of the, the podcast and the themes um but anyway so i think your podcast is called elder queen uh that's the name the tagline i use um i'm presbyterian and in that denomination i'm considered an elder um, okay so, yeah so uh, if, if i may so we did a green room um a video green room and then I don't record in, in, in video, but I appreciate that. So you're either aging well or you're a young man. And to be an <laughs> elder at what I'm perceiving to be your age is, is impressive. Thank you. It is. Um, I'm 30. Uh, and when I got approached with this idea of being an elder, the first thing I said was that's for old people. <laughs> uh, but uh, looking at the biblical perspective of it and not looking at the American definition of the word elder, mm -hmm. uh, it brings on a whole new meaning. And it's, it, it's uh, a person that is, um, to dumb it down, I guess, well-versed in their beliefs. They got their house in order. They are, you know, constantly doing the work of the church on a daily basis without any hiccups or problems. Um, and it's also the administrative side of the congregation. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. no, I appreciate that. That's, um, but still it's impressive. And I'm just gonna, um, uh, just say this. So perception is reality. So I just want everybody to know that when Brandon came on and we did the video green room, which normally we don't do, um, 
for a couple of reasons. One, I don't like to record video. Two, I really don't like to even see or know much about my guests because of pre preconceptions that I'm trying to avoid. Um, however, uh, Brandon, you literally, I thought you were my kid's age, like 21, 22. So oh, kudos thanks. To um, kudos to you. Uh, so that, you know, still impressive at 30 to be an elder. Well done. Uh, I was technically 28. Oh, see, now there you go. When I first got the call. Yeah, I was 28, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that's, that's incredibly impressive. I didn't, um, I didn't get that call until actually, I think I was in my mid thirties, but for Catholicism, I was on the church council. Nice. For a little while. Um, but I mean, I talk about my faith a little bit in a different episode, so we don't have to go there unless you want to, which by the way, everybody's so curious right now. What are we talking about today, sir? Well, I have two things that we can talk about. Uh, one of them is a fresh thing that just happened. Um, your listeners probably don't know. Uh, yes, I'm involved in the church, but I'm also a sheriff's deputy. And I've been doing that for about four years now. I actually like the job. It has its ups and downs. So I guess for the first half, we'll talk about uh, the job and a particular case that I just worked. And then we'll talk about faith. And I have a reason for that. <laughs> well, if I may be so bold, I see in my mind, I can see how they're tied together. Okay. You're right. I, I you're right. think, quite frankly, I think it would take a lot of faith to be a, a, a law enforcement officer. It does. And you, you get those officers that don't rely on faith or don't believe, and they are the first ones to have um, issues, moral issues, uh, ethnic issues, or, um, you know, just stuff that will actually snowball their career within the first five to 10 years. Um, you know, if they make it longer then they're a good, you know, deceiver, but that's another episode in and of itself. Uh, so one of the things that I dealt with recently was a murder of a 24 year old female. Um, I don't want to disclose any names because it's still an ongoing investigation. But one of the things that I dealt with on scene is I want the listeners to picture this picture, a movie theater packed to the brim, go and watch either a Tyler Perry's Medea movie or a modern Marvel movie, like a, a new X-Men or something like that. Okay. Think about the movie theater packed to the brim. That is exactly what that crime scene looked like the night of that girl's murder. And one of the things that people perceive about cops is they're, they're a bunch of idiots, a bunch of a-holes. Uh, they don't like people. They, they don't care. Uh, all of that negativity comes at us all at once whenever there's a murder. Okay. So keep in mind, we have to still do our job. We have to still preserve the crime scene. We have to still push people out of the way, not physically push them out of the way, but push people behind the crime scene line so we can effectively do our job, even though they're still watching. So, you know, I had a couple people literally curse me out, call me lower than a dog. They said disgusting things about my mom, uh, just ugly, disgusting people at that point. But the main thing they wanted to do was see the body. And it's like, why? okay, yeah, why? No, I'm serious. Why? 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 Yeah. 
so when I finally got the, the, the faithful remnant that stuck around to watch everything in its entirety, I told him, I said, look, I was one of the first people on scene. I saw her body. This is not an image you want to go home with because I have to go home with this and I have to live with this image for the rest of my life. If I quit law enforcement tomorrow, I still have that image that I have to live with. Okay, so a lot of like your average person, uh, especially your criminal, or the people that just don't like the cops because, you know, they think the cops kill people just to do it. They don't realize that an officer deals with so much stressful um, situations that literally will bring them to a psychotic break if they don't talk to somebody. Okay, so we have to listen at you curse us out lower than the dog, talk about our family. Uh, threaten to kill us, um, you know, flick us off every chance you get, but then you yell at us to do our effing jobs. And it's like, okay, well, we want to do our job, but you have to, you know, get behind the crime scene line so we can do our job. And if I ask you a question, tell me what you know. Don't complain. Don't tell me to do investigations and figure it out for myself. Because if you know something, then I can effectively do my job if you know something. You know, so a lot of people think that cops are invincible and we're not, okay? Or a lot of people think that cops are buttholes just to be buttholes. We're not. We want to get home just like you want to get home and we want to get you home to your family just as we want to get home to our family. So when I'm explaining this to the crowd, I'm like, you don't want to see the body like that. You know who she is. You know it's her that's deceased. Respect the dead. Respect her. Respect her family. And just don't remember her in this current state. You know, it's like, ah, well, I, I still, that's my cousin, yada, yada, yada. I don't care. You don't want to see her, you know. So um, this particular case, it did take a toll on me. Um, I, I'm a little bit better now, but it did, it, it hit me hard the next morning. Because here we have a 24-year-old female that is, that's been shot dead for a senseless reason. And now her six-year-old daughter is without a mother. Why? That's a good question. You know, why is this? And as much as, and I'm going to say this, as an African-American myself and dealing with the African-American community, we can sometimes be senseless to the people that are trying to our own people that are trying to help us. You know, and it's like none of these people on scene stop to think, well, how is this officer going to go home and deal with this? How is he going to process this? All right. He has to come on scene. And, how is he going to deal with this? The problem is they don't care. They're selfish and they all, they just, one guy was even recording the whole scene. I'm like, dude, turn the camera off before I take your phone. You know, why? When an officer walks on scene and starts asking questions, why do we curse the officer out and tell him to do his job, but yet he's doing his job and you cursing him out, not wanting to give any information? Well, that's a, those, those are good questions. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I will tell you that, um, okay, so let's, let's, let's break it down. I have a few things. One, I have to agree with you. I don't understand why somebody has, I don't understand morbid curiosity and if I may make another analogy that is different, 
but kind of applicable here is that when there's an accident on the side of the road, yeah. you get all those people stopping to look. Mm-hmm. You're not helping anybody drive. Now, don't get me wrong, because I've been a first on the scene, and I'm going to use words that just make no sense, but I've, I've witnessed an accident, like in, in particular, in West Virginia. We're on a family vacation, and we were in a state park, and I watched a big van cut off a group of motorcyclists, and I watched this woman mm-hmm. go ass over tea kettle and fly, I don't know, I, I'm going to say a number, and in my head it seems like longer, but it must have been like 10 or 15 feet is the realistic number, but I was going to say like 25. I don't know. I Honestly, I don't know, Brandon. But like I was the first person there because it was right near, like my family and I, we were getting uh, in the car, and it, and she was like the, the, the van came darting in, and, and these motorcyclists were just going through. And uh, it just, this van wanted to hurry up and get to this parking spot. Didn't want to wait. That, that's what this boiled down to. So, but, but everybody stops and stares and like everything. And I'm like, what are you people doing? Go. I'm like, you call 911. You. I'm like, is, and the people, I'm like, is anybody a nurse or a doctor? Like I'm starting to yell orders like a crazy person. And finally I found a nurse. I'm like, okay, I need help with this woman because I'm not a medical professional. I have, you know, I, I have an IT background. What am I going to do? Um, but, you know, so the nurse, I, I just kind of just shepherded people around. And I'm like, okay, you and you, you're on traffic duty. Get these, I was going to swear here, get these people moving. You know, we're, you know, don't move the motorcycle. Don't move her. People can drive around or they can just turn around, you know, whatever. Um, but I don't understand. Like people were being belligerent. They're like, they wanted to stop. They wanted to see, they wanted to do whatever. And I'm like, are you helping? Are you, my question to them is, are you going to help me? Then yeah. get the blank out of the way. You're not helping anybody. And that so, was my quote. That was, that's exactly you. It's, it's the same thing. You know, even if it's a car accident or a murder, it's the exact same thing. You know, and for me to turn around and look around and see all of those people, and I kid you not, 45% of those people didn't even live in the area. Okay. So when I turn around and, and I see a movie theater basically watching us, all right, so I'm doing my thing. I get a couple information and I, I pass that on and I turn around and I go address the crowd as I'm trying to push them behind the line and I'm asking the question. Nobody wants to help, per se. Nobody knows or seen anything. And it's like, okay, but you're yelling at us to do our job. You, the way you're acting will not bring her back from the dead. The way you're acting won't change anything. The way you're acting will cause us not to be able to solve this case. Okay, so you want to blame the police, but yet you can't blame yourself. All right. Now, I don't want to point blame at them, Mm -hmm. you know, because it is our burden to solve this case. But at the same time, if you know something, tell us. Well, I've always wondered that it's like if you I you see it on TV all the time and not on not on like fictional shows, which I think is part of the reason we have the title perception is reality, because I feel like people base their everything adds up. And sometimes people, I, my perception of life is that people have a hard time separating fiction from fact. And these things that they've seen on TV end up becoming helping shape unconscious. I talk about this on the show a lot is unconscious bias and confirmation bias. Hmm. Um, 
And I feel like these things are all helping to form these, these beliefs that, you know, this is why we talk about these issues. Now, I, I want to unpack something else that, that you asked. You asked me directly, like, why do people, uh, maybe, I don't remember the exact words, but did you ask me something like, why do people have a negative perception of the police? Yeah, you know, so, why is this an issue? I, I don't know, but I'll tell you my experience with police officers. I have several family members, and when I say several, it's really like one, three, three family members that were police officers. Um, and then I have family members that were on the other side of the equation. Uh, one, uh, one of my family members was actually involved in an execution. He was the one executed. It was drug related. It wasn't. Mm. So, I mean, I've seen, seen both sides, but I'm going to go back to my example. Uh, so I've seen the good, I'm saying I have some experience. Also, I was on the board of a charity for a long time and we did a fundraiser, um, that we would uh, shave the heads of first responders, EMTs, police, and firefighters. They would raise money and they would donate it to the charity. The charity was uh, the Dream Factory. I'm no longer okay. on the board, but it's still a great charity. Uh, well, about 95% of the profits go directly towards the local chapters and 5% just covers uh, like admin stuff like insurance because people don't understand that in a charity still needs to have insurance writers. Um, and all the volunteers are 100% volunteer. There's no paid members. So that's, well, you can tell I was on the board of that, right? Um, <laughs> so anyway, it's a great charity. If anybody's listening, look for your local chapter. They grant dreams to kids who are critically or chronically ill. The key word is they're chronic because kids who are chronically ill still suffer lifelong battles. Um, not to take away from our friends who are critically ill, but chronically ill children suffer quite a bit too. So we did hmm. not. We do not discriminate. So, but anyway, Mike's point is I have a lot of experience, but I'm going to give you, so that's one experience like these, these first responders, including our friends in law enforcement are willing to raise money for this charity to provide dreams to children. Um, you know, they're, they're just willing and they're willing to shave their heads. I mean, that's, I mean, like down to like skin, like with a razor, we, we, we like went, we shaved heads so that's like a commitment and it wasn't just male officers it was female officers too so i just want to be clear about that so you've got the good the i would say that maybe that's not the ultimate good the ultimate good is probably somebody who gave their life in service um, to protect us all but i mean this is a good example now on the other side my personal experience is the police officer that drove up to that scene of of the woman who's now laying her wrist, I just want to paint a picture. She's laying there. She's obviously got broken bones. And I still have this picture in my head. I can see her wrist separated from her arm. Ugh. She's she's not bleeding, but there are bones broken. Um, I think the nurse had a tourniquet on or sh uh, something at that point because there was blood. Um, like that's This woman was, uh, she lived, but she was seriously injured. This police officer was there he was taking his notes and he was automatically biased against the motorcyclist uh -huh. as he's talking with me he's talking to me about like i'm going to share his opinion about how they're a scourge um they're because they were all over the state park it was eagles nest state park in west virginia and it's a it's a popular stop for motorcycle clubs to go through and um because it, you know when they travel around um and 
But anyway, he was very, very biased against this. And he was like, she was in the wrong. And I was like, no, sir, she was not in the wrong. This van darted in and she clipped its rear quarter panel because it didn't want to wait. Like I had to convince him, I'm like, that's what I saw. I mean, that's what I'm telling you. Like I had to convince him. He was like, no, these, these motorcyclists are, you, you, you probably saw it wrong. Um, hmm. He was he, like, so he was not listening um, and just hated the motorcyclists. And he was actually not happy that I was giving a different story because now he actually had to take notes and the case got, um, you know, probably more involved. Um, this good is for my you. perception because he was definitely not taking any notes. He was not going to take any notes. And it was like, Oh, um, good for you. So I'm not saying that that's the, the normal response from a police officer, but I'm saying I have seen, um, I guess both sides of that's what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. And if I can add, if I can add, yeah, go ahead because I want to talk about this because I have a profound respect for people who are, and I I don't mean to I'm not trying to discriminate, but I, when I what by saying first responders because I think all of the first responders are completely underappreciated in our culture. Yeah, and especially in today's society. But I'm going to add this. So just because I'm a cop doesn't mean I'm going to automatically take the side. Oh sure of law enforcement or first responders, because I am one that will call out wrong when wrong is wrong on mm -hmm. either side. So that officer probably dealt with these types of cases on a regular basis. And he already has a preconceived notion of what's going to happen. Okay. He did. He did. He, had, right. and he explained it because at the end he started explaining why, and I can tell you the reasons, but please continue. And, and I would say that is a, excuse my language, that is a bullshit way to be as a cop because every case is different, okay? So that was wrong on his part, all right? And I'm gonna publicly say that it was wrong on his part. But at the same time, when it's those type of, of officers that makes it look bad for the ones that really wanna help, really wanna be a cop, really wanna do what's right, really wanna work and help the community, it's cops like that that give all the good cops a bad name. So I'm not sitting here and saying that all cops are hunky-dory, upstanding citizens. They follow the law because they're not. They're absolutely not. They're sinners and they make mistakes like everybody else. Um, but I'll they're add this. They're human. Exactly. We all are human. That is correct. I'll add this. Um, his nonchalant attitude, non-compassionate attitude, was not the way to handle that case. And I am the type of person, like, I'm gonna give you a prime example. So I showed up on scene the other day where apparently this kid was speeding down the street, the neighbor got upset, hopped on his four-wheeler with a beer in his hand, goes down to her house and tries to like talk to the dad, all right? Should have never been on the property, mm -hmm. um, which I commend him for trying to talk to the dad, but because I know the history behind it, it's he's constantly harassing these people. All right. Mm -hmm. Here's why, here's why he does that because he owns most of the properties on that street. Ah, okay. Except the one that this girl lives at. So he thinks he owns the street. He thinks he owns all the property, yada, yada, yada. So I go talk to the, the person that called it in the quote unquote speeder got her side of the story. It was very, I was 
ticked off that we even got called there because, I mean, this guy's a grown adult. This is an 18 year old. He's not even thinking like an adult at this point. So when I go talk to him, I'm explaining. Now at this point, I'm not giving him a citation. I'm not arresting him for drinking um, while driving a, a motor vehicle, which is a four wheeler. I'm just going to go talk to him to let him know, don't go on a property, cease contact. If you think somebody's speeding, call us. We'll come do extra patrols. The next thing out of his mouth was, and when I said not to go on that property, he states where they're renting that property. It's not even that property. And I'm like, hold up. Okay. You're starting to tick me off and you're about to get arrested. All right. They're renting the property. Therefore it is their property. They occupy it. You should not be on their property. Okay. So don't like, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of person, I'm not going to write a ticket. I'm not going to do an arrest if I can solve the problem just by talking. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's the way I operate. Now, clearly if it's a domestic violence, there is no questioning involved unless what happened, why'd you do it? X, Y, Z. Um, but for something like this, where this neighbor can leave this neighbor alone and I can solve it like that, that's the way I'm going to go. Now, I will admit, I did have a preconceived notion of how this case was going to play out. And that notion was, I'm going to go talk to both parties and get them to cease contact. Not once did I have, I'm not going to listen to him because he's always causing problems. I never said I'm not going to listen to her because, you know, they complain. I never thought of any of that. I looked at the history of the complaints, how many complaints they called in revolving this. And my notion was, I'm going to nip this in the bud today. Okay, I'm going to get it to where they can live amongst each other without fighting, without any of this stuff. So for an officer to go on scene and have a preconceived notion and not listen to a witness, that's pretty disheartening. That's, That's heartbreaking because that's not how we as police officers are supposed to act in the community. We are first responders for a reason. We are there to, we're basically there to clean up people's messes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Uh, I agree with you, you know, yes, that cop was completely wrong and I commend you for standing up to him and making him do his job. Well, I mean, I guess I'll accept the word standing up to, I mean, I was not uh, confrontational at all. Um, Right. But that's that's just not by nature. I'm not confrontational by nature, but I'm not going to back down either. I'm a talker. um, And I have talked my way out of many, many things. um, Because again, that's probably why I have this podcast. I mean, I like (laughs) because I sincerely want to learn. Okay, well, you're angry with me. Let's talk about why. I mean, you know, or whatever. But uh, in this case, the you know, getting to to know this officer a little bit, um, he did let me know that this was literally his first case where the motorcyclist wasn't popping a wheelie and going down the road at 900,000 miles per hour, or a lot of the cycling um, groups are very rowdy and drunk and, you know, disorderly conduct is very common. And um, so this was, this was like his first instance of like, wow. And I'm not saying that to excuse it. What I'm saying is, we all perception is reality mm-hmm. His his previous. And that's what we all have to battle. And that's what I want people to learn with this podcast, Brandon, is we have to know. Step one is to know that these things exist, that you are pre you're, you're, you are um, predisposed to certain things, whatever that is. Um, you will have an impression of, of that. 
uh, in your head, whether you know it or not, and that's what you're going to draw on and you're going to build your experiences around that. So that's what he was doing. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying, I'm explaining that's what his experiences were. Um, so, and I appreciate the way you explained it is that a well-trained officer, uh, you know, knows that each case is different. It's, you know, so I appreciate that, but, and I'm not trying to, to, to excuse what he did. Um, but, you know, we did, we did talk and he did at the end, thank me for uh, correcting the situation. Um, you know, he called the ambulance. So we were talking, there's nothing really, we, you know, she was stable. So it's not like we, I don't want people to think that the two of us were over here arguing about what happened while she was laying in the road. We, he took care of her first. Oh he no. Was, I, yeah. <laughs> he, I want people, I just want people to know that his first priority was I would say scene stabilization and then her like making sure that all the pieces were in the right spot. You know, he saw that we were already diverting traffic that we were helping. So he let go of a few things. He being the first responder on there waiting for the ambulance, he took care of her while the ambulance was on the way. Once the EMTs got there, he handed that over and then he started talking to the rest of us. So I just want to be clear that nobody, I don't want anybody to think that, he left her in the middle of the road and we're just like talking like, no, I, I got that. I got, I, that. I figured you did because you're, you know, like, I don't, I kind of assumed you did because <laughs> you were, you are in his shoes on a daily basis. However, those listening may not be familiar with protocols. I'm just going to use the word protocols. And mm -hmm. I want to be clear, like he did not leave her alone. He made sure she was stable and, and, uh, and good. But anyway, so right. my point in going down that rabbit hole is that people have interactions with the police. Now, I, I've told the story in a different episode, and I don't remember which one, but um, my best friend slash who I consider like a brother is an African-American. And it sincerely... Like, I literally want to tear up thinking about this. He has to talk to his children differently than I talk to my children about interactions with the police. Hmm. Like, there's extra that he has to go through because they're a black family. Mm -hmm. And that, that bothers me. Now, I'm not saying, like, you know, every officer that rolls up, one, uh, let's, let's, let's think, like, do you know... Um, and I don't know, Brandon, but I'm hoping you can rescue me here. Like, do you know how many officers are minorities? <laughs> no, because I have an issue with seeing color. Um, I see color, but I don't see it in that way. Okay. Um, I want to feed off of what you just said about your friend having to talk to his family differently. Mm -hmm. So me being a black officer, mm -hmm. um, I show up on scene to a complaint that, and it was a complete bogus complaint. Like I got the call, I saw the description of the vehicle and I knew exactly what vehicle it was and exactly which house it was. And it was an African-American family. Okay. So I already knew that this case was going to be simple. Go talk to the, the guy that called the complaint man who admitted he made a mistake, you know, so that was it. Mm -hmm. And then go talk to the, the person with the vehicle. So I stopped and I talked to the guy that parked the vehicle near this empty lot and he goes off and I know the kid and I'm like, what are you getting an attitude for? He was like, cause y'all mess with me. I'm not messing with you. I'm here to tell you what kind of call we just got and, and what's going on with it. That way you're not, 
being harassed by somebody else. Like I'm telling you, I'm going to handle this right now. So I went and talked to the, the person that called it in. He admitted he made the mistake. I go back to the guy and I'm like, look, I told you it's done. He was like, oh, and I said, look, don't get an attitude when, when the cops come up and try to talk to you. He was like, man, I've seen so much. I'm like, Donnie, stop. The problem is with your attitude, and a lot of people need to know this, within the first five minutes, five seconds to five minutes of, a, of your interaction with the cop will determine how the cop's attitude will be most of the time. So if I, if I did a traffic stop on you, David, mm-hmm. and I walk up, and before I can get anything out of my mouth, what you pull me over for? How do you expect my attitude to be? Oh, I would never say that. Right, right. But, but <laughs> let, let's say you did. How would you expect my attitude to be? Well, I mean, so here's, here's how I would, I would say that just based on, I'm going to base this on my own personal, um, my own person is that I find that I'm quite a, I'm, I'm a mirror for what I reflect what I receive. Um, so if somebody is going to be like, what'd you pull me over for? I'm going to be like, oh, oh, let me give you the list. Where should I start? Um, and then I would just not be a nice person. I mean, I would do it in my tone because Brandon, I don't, I, I have resting bitch face and resting tone, bitch tone. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, I do like, I, and, and I'm, I mean this sincerely and I do have resting bitch face. It's a thing. I talk about it a lot on the podcast because a lot of people have misperceptions about me because of my tone of voice and my facial expression. And the more I'm paying attention, the angrier I look. So, but it's just because I'm, I'm concentrating. Um, but apparently my concentration face is angry. So like, if that was me, like <laughs> somebody's going to pull that out on me, they're going to get bitch tone all day long. I mean. Right. And I, I, I spent 10 minutes explaining to him your attitude. And I told him, I said, you lucky it's me because no other cop would have dealt with this. Okay. And I told him, I said, you got to realize we come out here and we deal with BS day in and day out. The last thing we need is for somebody like you to have a, a, an attitude when we're just trying to do our job. I told you when I came on scene, you're not in trouble. I'm advising you, your vehicle was yada, yada, yada. What's with the attitude? And he, he realized, yeah, I was wrong. Okay. Um, another, another one, I think you're going to like this one. Um, I'm sitting on the side of the road. Uh, I had just responded to a call of a domestic and I'm like, I got on scene. Nobody was outside. No, we didn't know what apartment, like we didn't know anything. Okay. So with me, I'm not just going to go, don't see anything and leave. I'm going to try to look for something or talk to some people to see what I can find. So I'm doing just that. I'm talking to a guy walking back from the store. He said, no, I didn't know anything about, you know, a domestic or whatever. But then I see the silver car come flying by me, clearly speeding, clearly driving like a bat out of Hades, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I did a traffic stop and it's a young black girl. And what does she do? Makes the fatal mistake. What you, what you pull me over for? Well, first of all, can you give me time to open my mouth? You know, so I told her, I wouldn't speed. I wouldn't speed. I'm like, can you just stop? I'm not even giving you a ticket. I need you to calm down. And then she just kept going, kept going. All of a sudden, her mom pulls up on scene. Okay, which is a huge no-no. 
No, you do not pull okay. up um, behind a police officer when he's out of his car or vehicle talking to somebody else. That's that's a huge no-no. Right. So she walks up. What you pulled over for? And I looked at her and said, ma'am, first of all, when I'm done with the traffic stop, you can talk to her. Well, back to your car and let me finish this traffic stop. And she just kept giving me attitude. And, and I'm going to tell you what pissed me off. It's a shame how black cops treat their own people. Okay, hold up. When you say my people, I'm talking family. Okay, we're not related. All right. And I give everybody the same treatment, black or white, Mexican or Hispanic or um, Italian. It doesn't matter. Okay. So I looked at her. I said, you got three options and I'm going to only give it to you one time. You can be nice and go back to your car. I let your daughter off with a warning. Or you can stay here and keep giving me attitude and I'll give your daughter a ticket. Or three, you can stay here and keep giving me attitude. I'll give your daughter a ticket and I'll arrest you for an interfering with police investigation. Which one do you want? And she starts mouthing off. And I walk up to her. I said, okay, let's go to the back. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. She got in the car and left. So I walk back up to the, uh, to the girl who has a record of breaking the law, speeding, getting in fights, theft, all of that, you know. And I'm not stereotyping. This is, this is her record. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm, I'm talking to her. I'll go back to the car. I say, let me give you some advice. You're young. I understand that. But don't you ever get an attitude with an officer like that again. I say, because this traffic stop that could have lasted two minutes just lasted 10 minutes. Okay. So you have the way you interact with the cop determines how this case is going to go. So keep that in mind. If you break the law, own up to it. If you didn't break the law, let the cop speak and then give your side. Because once she explained to me what she did, she was completely justified. Okay. But from what I saw on the corner of my eye, it looked like you were speeding and driving like a bat out of hell. Okay. So as a cop, I am to act on that. I can't let you drive any kind of way. You know? Yeah. No, believe me, I've, I've been, I understand I've been pulled over twice. Um, I've been pulled over twice, ticketed once. Um, on the first occasion, it was a white male officer. On the second occasion, it was a black male officer. So the second occasion, uh, we were dropping our son off to, to school. Um, and we were on in the New York State Thruway, so the speed limit 65. I had the cruise control, what I thought was set to 70. Um, but I mean, this was a 10 year old Honda. So apparently cruise control wasn't working. He clocked me at like 74. Um, so we talked about it. Like he came up, he was like, do you know, I was like, hi, but literally it was like, hi, sir. And you know, how can I help you? I think is what I said. And, and he was like, okay. Uh, he's like, do you know why I pulled you over? I was like, I honestly don't which I didn't because I mean, five miles per hour over, I mean, people were passing me uh, (laughs) and I was actually doing nine miles per hour over, which I didn't know. um, And they were still passing me. Um, But anyway, um, yeah. And so what got me was because everybody else, when they got to his stop, they were like breaking early. And I was like, I'm set to 70. I can just keep going. But you know, I didn't know. So we talked about it. And um, he was like, you know that I've heard the cruise control excuse like a million times. I'm like, I'm sure you have. I'm like, honestly, I'm not making that up uh, and I'm not using it as an excuse. And I literally told him, I'm like, I totally respect you if you need to ticket me. 
I did not honestly know I was doing that. And I, this is a sincere thing, Brandon. I didn't know I was going nine miles per hour. I thought I was doing five. Um, and he believed me. We talked about it for a few minutes and, and I promised him that I would get the cruise control checked out, which I did. I took it to the Honda dealership where we were going and they were like, Oh yeah, the things, your computer's broken. I'm surprised it was only doing nine over. So, you know, but he didn't give me a ticket. So that's, that's, that's one example. The other one was I was driving a friend to the car dealership and, uh, we were coming from a, a 40 mile per hour zone into a 45 mile per hour zone. Um, and I won't go, I, I typically, I will go five miles per hour over because I feel like um, that's typically a safe zone for me because most, I'm not in anybody's way. I'm not doing too bad uh, because there's, you know, I feel like everybody else is aggressive. Uh, unless I'm in a neighborhood, like a neighborhood neighborhood, like in my neighborhood, it's 35 that cruise control or my foot, depending on what the weather is. Cause I don't cruise control when the weather's bad. Cause that's a big no, no. That's yeah. my, this is David's PSA. Unless it's a bright and shiny, sunny day. If it's foggy, if it's rainy, if it's snowy, if it's anything but sunny and dry, your cruise control is off people. I just, I agree. Okay. I agree. I agree. So, um, so I set it to 35 because there's a lot of kids in our neighborhood or I make sure that I'm doing 35. Now I've been passed on double yellow lines. I mean, like, I'm like, I, wow. somebody, you know, but that's a different story. So um, we're coming from, I was doing 45 in the 40 and I sped up to do 50 and, uh, as, and I waited until I got to the 45 mile per hour sign and I sped up and we were going up the hill and I was driving a 96 Pontiac vibe. So it, it had a hamster. It didn't even have a real engine in it. <laughs> um, but the police officer pulled me over, pulled us over. And he was not happy with me right away. And I, I treat everybody the same way. I don't care if you're a police officer, if you're, um, you know, whoever you are, you're getting the same response from me. And it was like, hi, officer, how can I help you? And he was just like, not even having it. He was like, went right into it. I pulled you over, you were speeding. And I was like, um, uh, okay. And he was like, I clocked you doing 50. And I was like, yes, sir. I was doing 50. I, cause not like Abe Lincoln, but I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was doing 50 and he was like, well, that was a 40 mile per hour zone. And I was like, uh, I'm like, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, sir. But I, I had just crossed over the 45 mile per hour zone. The, the sign is right there. And he immediately wanted to don't tell me how to do my job or don't, yeah. I'm, I'm ad-libbing. I don't want to put total words in his mouth, but I'm just trying to paint the picture. Um, but he was not happy with me. And then um, he proceeded to tell me that he had just witnessed me going down the hill, doing a quick U-turn and coming back up the hill. Now, and, and we were speeding down the hill and then we were speeding up the hill. And I was like, officer, I believe you, you may have, the wrong person because I mean, we did not do a U-turn. We just left work and we're going to the dealership, like right up the road to pick up Steve's car. Uh, you know, we literally just thought, I'm like that we didn't have time to do U-turn. And then he went into something like, I don't want to hear excuses. He wrote me the ticket and he was like, I will see you in court. And he was, that's what he said to me. So, Wow. I'm sorry. So no, no, that's fine. You don't need to apologize to him. Um, 
or for him. Uh, I, but so in court, because this is how I roll, um, I pulled his record. I pulled his calibration on his radar unit just in case. Um, I also pulled how many salsa red Pontiac vibes are in the area within a four mile radius of where I was pulled over. I took a picture of where I was pulled over. I took a picture of me underneath the sign that was a hundred yards away or more from where he pulled me over. Um, I pulled the swipe records from, cause you have to swipe in and out of work because we have sensitive job. So like Steve and I swiped out the door to get out. So it showed the time I did the math. I'm like, it literally, I'm like, doing five miles per hour the speed limit and all of these different zones puts me here approximately the same time that your ticket you pulled me over. That doesn't give me enough time to go to the top of the hill and turn around and come back and do a U-turn. I bet he was ticked. <laughs> well, um, he was not happy with me in the courtroom. His face got very red and um, he was angry. And the district attorney looked at the judge and the judge looked, you know, at me and they were like, and this officer, I mean, he was saying words I couldn't understand. And he was kind of like being aggressive with the district attorney. Um, but I mean, I'm not going to, I'm going to go to court. I'm going to plead my case. I mean, I have to build a case, right? I mean, it, honestly, if I was guilty, like he said, which I did admit to, and I told the, the judge, I'm like, I was definitely doing 50. Like there is no dispute here. I was doing 50 miles per hour, but I did not do the other actions. I wasn't there. I didn't even ask for a plea on the ticket. Huh. I, I was like, huh. I admit to doing this, but I don't admit to this other stuff. And I don't want that, you know, so, but the judge ended up saying this, he dismissed the case. And that made the, the police officer even more angry. And I was like, oh, sugar pie and applesauce. I hope I don't run into him again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I hope so, he's not a cop. I hate to say that. He was a sheriff. I hope he's not there anymore because that is baloney. Okay. When I investigate a case and I take it to court, I make sure my ducks are in a row. You know, I had a guy take me to court. I gave him a citation. Uh, he parked his vehicle on private property and there were signs posted and he just ignored the signs and parked there. And the owners of the house, it was the, um, the wife's mom's house who had just passed away. And they kept the house. They were working on it, getting ready to rent it out or sell it or something. And no, they were getting ready to rent it out. And they, they asked him before not to do it. He did it anyway because he didn't want his truck to overheat in the sun. I do get that. We live in the South. I get it. Yeah. So when I make contact with him, he proceeds to start cursing out the neighbor. And I get a hold of him. I'm like, you talking to me, not them. I'm here. I'm the one asking he proceeds to curse me out. Well, he royally ticked me off and I gave him a citation for trespassing. Okay. Several months passed. He didn't go to court. I saw him and I, I had every right to do one of two things, arrest him or give him a new court date. I didn't neither. I told him you need to go to court and take care of your warrant that you have for your arrest. Okay. And the ticket was very affordable for him. It was like a very cheap ticket. He, he told me he was going to pay it, not even go to court. He decided to go to court. Okay. That's fine. I got my report. I got my uh, digital statements. I got my pictures. I got your license plate. Let's go. So I took him to court and he didn't have a lawyer. He tried to, you know, strong arm me, if you will. And I just looked at him and smiled and 
I said the, the key phrase that actually won the case. And the judge looked at him and said, out of all the deputies, you actually chose to pick with one that actually does his job, <laughs> which made me feel good because, you know, I do do my job. I'll take my job seriously. And the guy was like, well, and the judge is like, I'm not done talking. Since you decided to take this to court and not pay your $50 ticket, your charge is now it was like over 300 bucks. And I'm just sitting there like, why you just didn't pay the ticket? Seriously, pay the ticket. You know, 50 bucks, get it off. Or better yet, why did you start cursing at the neighbor? You know, like that could have saved you 50 bucks. But, you know, stuff like that. But an officer, that particular officer you dealt with was a bully. Yeah, you know, he, he, was he, he was for sure. Yeah, uh, for somebody that think they're above the law and they can talk to people any kind of way, I, I don't play that. How the public talks to me, I hate to say it, is how I talk to them. And we're supposed to show them love and compassion and be nice. But one motto I have is I'm not a punching bag. I'm not somebody you can just talk to any kind of way. If I'm a respect, you respect me. The only time I'll allow disheartening talk is if I show up on a scene and let's say the mother found her daughter dead and she starts cursing. That's the only time I will allow that because of her emotions. But if you don't have it, you know, I can go into a lot with that. No, I mean, I understand that one, that one. I mean, you do. I mean, if you're on a scene like that, I mean, uh, you don't know how that person's going to, I mean, that person could be quite frankly, that person could be a risk to you, not intentionally, but like you showing up anger, Mm -hmm. like just at the world, you never know what's going to happen. So I I commend you for that. But he, he was a bully. So I guess I'm painting pictures for you so you and I can help. Um, figure out why this is I call general population gen pop I refer to them as gen pop (laughs) why why gen pop has a negative perception why why first of all and this is something I don't understand Brandon is that why do people feel like they can talk to each other in I'm gonna use air quotes some kind of way why when when we've we've lost all civility so Mm -hmm. not only like that's just person to person. Let's just say so you're, you're, in, you're off duty and you know what? You wear um, pants just like everybody else. You're a human being. All officers are human beings. They're dealing mm-hmm. with something. We don't know what happened. Maybe the officer just lost his partner. Maybe his dog just died. Maybe he uh, just won the lottery, but he's doing his job because he loves his job. So it could be on either end of the spectrum, but they're still human beings. Why do we feel not not you and I, because I mean, quite frankly, I'm never going to do that because I, I try to show everybody the same level of respect. Like you are going to get that. And, you know, then based on what I perceive back, kind of like you, you will receive back what you're getting, uh, you're giving. But why do we as a society feel that it's okay not only to treat each other like crap all the time, but also somebody who is in an authoritative position. Um, and I don't mean to use the word, like there's a lot of connotations. Sorry, I, I know you're going to jump mm. in and I want to let you talk. I know that there's a lot of connotations around the word authoritative, but as a law enforcement officer, we have to respect that you are in an authoritative position, especially when you are in control of a scene, an active scene or an active investigation or a traffic stop or whatever. That's just, it's just, it just is. Why don't people accept it? Do you have Let a me, theory? Yes. Yes, I do. I have several. Okay. I'm going to say, number one, the media. Okay. 
and the way politics play into the gym pop generation. Okay. That that's number one, but that's like a small reasoning. Number two, um, I can look at this situation from a cross cultural standpoint mm-hmm. and I can do a breakdown of, you know, ethnicity and this, that, and the other, but I'm not, I'm going to look at it from the parenting. Okay. So you and I were brought up in two different styles. Okay. Maybe not because I was raised by my grandmother. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my grandmother always taught us if we do something wrong, we're going to own up to it and she's not going to take our side. Okay. That woman was meaner than dirt, but I respect her for it. And I'm glad she was because it made me a better person. So the parenting, like I'll show up on a scene and this has happened before. I'm not making this up. I'll show up on scene where one person calls because another person's child is doing X, Y, Z. So my first thing is, why you're not going talk to the parent adult to adult go talk to the parent try to work it out between amongst you know amongst yourselves first before you get law enforcement involved okay so that's part of the problem they're quick to call the cops instead of going talk to the parent okay but then for those who talk to the parent they get cursed out Mm -hmm. so they have to call the cops and you know just to solve the problem yep so when i show up on the scene and i'm talking to the victim of the incident, I get this, this is what's going on, X, Y, Z, the kid's known for this, yada, yada, yada. Then I go talk to the parent of the kid and I get, my child didn't do this, my child's an angel, you know, blah, blah, blah. How could she say something like that? She needs to mind her own exploded word business, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm, that's the problem. And I, I told the parent this, I said, that's your problem. You're going to call us when you have problems with your child and you want us to haul your child off to juvenile justice. Well, guess what? It's not going to happen. You need to learn how to be a parent and babies need to stop having babies, if you will. Because if you, if you can't take criticism from another parent, that's telling you your child is doing something wrong, you shouldn't have kids at all. Okay. So a lot of this falls back on parenting. I could tell you right now, I would have people disagree with me and say, no, it's because of where they grew up and the situation they're in. You are slightly right about that, but we cannot always put the blame on that. I grew up in government housing. I grew up on government government assist programs. I want it better for my life. So what did I do? Work my way out of the poverty, if you will. Now, I'm still poor, don't get me wrong, but I'm not living in that style and keeping myself in that style just because that's what I grew up as, you know? So when you look at the parent, the parenting breakdown in America, you, you have a lot of single parent homes. You have the dads that don't care. So they just go sow their oats everywhere and have kids all over the place and takes care of none of their kids. And then you have the moms that are, they, their kids are angels. They do no wrong. And they don't want their kids to be corrected by anybody else. That's a problem. Okay. I can tell you right now, if I did something wrong as a kid, the person I committed that act against was not allowed to call my grandmother until they handled the situation first. Hmm. Because my grandma always said, respect your elders. Adults have the authority. So I grew up with who was in authority. 
it was never, I'm going to run over my grandmother and get my weight. Oh, oh, hell no. <laughs> Actually, you know, it. Yeah. The, no, the I par- agree with you. We yeah. Got, the I, the I parenting up, today is horrible. I grew up in a, um, I mean, I had my, both my parents, but they were, they were strict and, um, <clears throat> they, they laid down the law, so to speak, no pun intended for you, but, uh, <laughs> If somebody in the neighborhood, another adult, accused me or my sisters of doing something, we were guilty until proven innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's a harsh way to say it because I, again, I said I know words matter. It wasn't quite that way, but they were like, "What did you do?" You know, not that we were like, we were we were kids. We weren't angels, but we weren't like deviants either. None of us ever were arrested as children or anything or, you know, anything like that. Um, but you know, we weren't like angels. Um, you know, we did kids do stupid things. That's part of being a child. Um, you know, you, you learn from those stupid acts, hopefully, and you don't do them again. Um, (laughs) although some people, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. But anyway, um, (laughs) No, I agree with you. I think that there is today, and, and this is my perception, is that there is a certain level of friendshipness with the kids. And, you know, I can see that with my own children where, you know, sometimes um, I might not have been as strict as I probably should have been. But believe me, they didn't get, they didn't get away with nothing. But, you know, I probably could have been a little more just then like none but um i didn't become my grandmother's friend if you will until i was about 24 okay and she still had authority oh yeah yeah yeah. my kids are 20 22 and they're just now starting to i mean i my wife and i uh parented our children we never used baby language I don't know how to phrase it, but we, we didn't dumb or dumb down our vocabulary um, on behalf of our children. Like, we, mm-hmm. you know, used our big fancy schmancy college words that we both paid for. So you're <laughs> damn right. We're going to use those words. Um, you know, and it, it, my kids, when they asked me a question, like, why is the sky blue or the grass is green? They got a lesson on, the ozone and and light refraction or they got a lesson on chloroplast and light refraction and you know like they got the answer um which you know later on like when my son turned like when he hit like 12 or 13 he just stopped asking me questions because he was like oh crap you're gonna give me the long answer i just want the simple answer i'm like there's nothing and i would tell him i'm like nothing in life is simple there is never a, there, nothing in life. Let me, this is just a David belief that nothing in life worth pursuing is simple. That is true. I agree. I agree. There is, uh, you know, and um, like I keep wanting to quote Steve Harvey too because Steve, Uncle Steve talks of, I, I love that guy. He talks <laughs> a lot about some of the things that you're talking about um, right now. Um, you know, me quoting him all the time hasn't gotten me on his show or, you know, him to even acknowledge my existence, but, you know, dare to dream, David, dare to dream. Uncle Steve may find you yet. Um, and he talks a lot about these. He's got an academy for youth 
and he talks a lot on his show. I don't know if you've ever watched it. Oh yeah. But that's then you know he talks a lot about his show about boys in particular need a male role model. They don't yeah. know how to be men, um, and he ha- he does that. But uh, you know that's just one thing, and I forgot where I was going to go with that. But something else I want to pick up on if I could backtrack, and then I want to get into like the nitty gritty. Like let's talk about common misperceptions and what your reality is. We've okay. talked a lot incognito. Like I haven't called them out like, okay, this is a misperception. This is the reality, but we've, I think we've done a good enough job where the audience can follow us. But I want to go back to something that you said, because I promised my friend, friend Vera on our show when we talked about racism, that I would talk about racism because it's something. Yep. Um, I don't know if I'm abnormal, but, I don't understand racism and I, I've, I've, don't give me Brandon. I am not, um, I'm not a perfect human being. I have said things that are definitely racist, but that was to hurt individuals <laughs> when we're in the middle of an argument, you know, you're just like, you know, you say things that you really don't mean, but you're like, you just want to hurt that person. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that I am, am innocent. Like, I, you know, I'm, I've done stupid things, but I've learned at the ripe old age of 40, I know better now than I did then. And I wouldn't say that. And my Russian friend, Alex, always likes to say, Brandon, and I'm going to ask you this question, an old man and a young man get into a fight. <laughs> Whose fault is it? That's a good question. <laughs> uh both <laughs> it's the old man's fault because he should know better okay i'm that old man i know better now than i did when i was that young man you know we're full of testosterone and we're we know everything i get it now that i'm at 48 and i'm like okay well you know we don't need to argue about this let's talk about it you know we don't have to get into an argument or a fight or you know whatever we can talk about it okay but, <clears throat> I forgot where I was going. Damn. Oh, so racism. So when you said that you don't see color, I totally respect what you're saying, but I've been advised that from several of my um, black friends that that's not an appropriate thing to say because it, you're taking away, like it's, 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 it's a noble thing to say, like you don't see color, but it's not a good thing to say because then you're, you're taking away the uniqueness or the specialness or you're just, you're, um, I don't know what the, I don't, I didn't, am I making sense? Can you, you are. And throw I'm, me I'm a going, life raft here. Okay. So, so let me look something up. All right. And yeah. while I'm doing that, I'm going to explain what I'm working on. Okay. So I'm, I'm Presbyterian. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Which is a white denomination. Let's face it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was, I, I, I just figured you were in a really cool congregation. So, like, when, uh, for example, and I'm going to segue here, like, my congregation in Memphis was, mm-hmm. it was a Catholic congregation, but we were very diverse, and I loved every single second of it, every second of it. Yeah. It was just, yeah. So M- go ahead. Memphis is known for that, but, but back to the thing. So, um, I've gone to my church for 25, 20, close to 25 years now. Okay. And I've never felt the racism, if there was any, meaning there was none. 
these people accepted me for who I was, who I am, and they love me as their own. And they would go to war if somebody made a racist comment toward me. And these are white people. Mm-hmm. Okay. But because I'm an elder, I'm privileged to go to our national meetings and, and whatnot. And I'm actually on a committee of the national uh, leadership team that is focusing on cultural diversity and ethnic diversity. Hmm. Okay. Cool. So when I, when I make the comment that I don't see color, hear me clearly. Yes, I do see color, but I never see color in a negative way. When I say I don't see color, I mean this. And I'm, I'm a, if you don't mind, I'll read a scripture for you if that's okay. No, dude, do it because, okay. yeah, go. When I say I don't see color, I look at Revelation 7-9. And Revelation 7-9 says this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That is a beautiful verse. Now, I'm a very, um, you could call me religious. I don't care. I'm a religious guy. But when I read Revelation 7, 9, and I look at the mission that I'm doing with the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, what we're saying as a denomination is we don't care if you're black. We don't care if you're Mexican. We don't care if you're Latino. We don't care if you're Spanish. We don't, we don't care what your ethnicity is. Our goal as the church is to make our church look like heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. So why is it an issue for a black person not to worship with a bunch of white people? Oh, I don't know. I don't see any problem with it. Um, right, right. I don't either. Um, and that was a rhetorical question. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, and, and I mean, I've gone to several. I mean, you know, when kids are baptized or whatever, I mean, we go. My wife and I and family. We've often been the only white family in uh, an inner city black church, but we love it. I mean, and everybody's yeah. been very accepting of us. I mean, <clears throat> you know, know, and I did a presentation in front of our general assembly this year uh, a couple weeks ago, and the closing part of my statement was, let's just do church together, you know, and, and I'm going to broaden that statement a little bit and say, let's just live together. Thank you. Okay. Yes. I I understand we all have different lifestyles. Okay. I I can go to a Baptist church and they'll do the hooping and the hollering and the screaming and they all, they express their, their worship in such a different way. And no offense to you, David, I'm standing next to you and you're just standing there with your hands in your pocket, looking around like what the heck is going on? Okay. But then I can turn around and I can go to your church and be perfectly fine. You know, the problem is we can't do church together is because, and and I'm going to say it and I'm not racist. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is probably the only racist comment I'll make. You get white people that just cannot fathom the way a black person sings a song or the way they worship. Okay. Theology. I, I, I agree. Theology is different because I, I can get into theology and talk about, you know, that, but I'm not going to. But when you look at worship itself, when you look at the, the style of music, you will get crunchy old white men that just can't fathom how a black person worships and does not want them in their churches. But when you read Revelation 7, 9, if you are a Bible believing Christian, Revelation 7, 9 is a prescriptive notion given to us by God. And this is telling us when we die, and if you believe in heaven, when we die and go to heaven, it's not going to be whites over here 
blacks over here, you know, Hindus over here, or I'm sorry, not Hindus, um, Asians over here. It's going to be all people of every nation, all tribes and all languages worshiping one true God. So when I say I don't see color, I'm not saying it as a way to ignore the racism deal that's going on in America. I'm saying it from a biblical standpoint that when I don't see color, I think about Revelation 7, 9. I love your answer and I have several things to say if you don't mind. So Please. one is when, when I say that as, as a middle-aged white male, which is I'm that demographic that everybody hates, <laughs> we're, we're ruining everything. And I don't like being lumped into that just like other people don't like being categorized into a, a, a stereotype because that's not who I am. And when I say I don't see color, um, I don't see color as a negativity. Like I actually seek out diversity. I love learning. I mean, I've lived all over the country. Hmm. We lived in many different areas um, of various cities and, and things that have put us in, like in one example, we were the only white people for miles. I mean, literally miles. Um, and that caused, that, that was an interesting thing to, to, to deal with, um, both for positive and, and there were some negatives. Um, but, you know, that, that's not the only time that we've done that because we, we purposely seek that out. You know, like we have met, like I love meeting somebody different um, from a different religion, from a different country, from a different whatever, because I just love learning about them, their culture and everything that just is awesome. Uh, hmm. I think it's awesome. So that's what I'm saying. But my, when I say that, when I, when I, I've learned that when I say that I need to not say that because that stops the conversation and it doesn't give me enough time to explain. So I've just learned to stop saying that. So I was just found it curious that you, you said, no, uh, I say it like that. And I force people to listen to me because I'll get black people. When I make that statement, they're like, what you mean? You don't see color. What you think you white? No. And, and, and honestly, this is going to sound very, uh, it's going to sound funny, but I like confrontation when it comes to racism, because it is a topic we need to talk about. And especially when I'm talking to people that claim to be Christian, I purposely make that statement so I can draw out what problems they're having to then point them back to scripture. And by God's grace, I have been very successful with that approach on things on, on racism, if you will. Now, mm -hmm. Do I like racism? Absolutely not. Do I think it's the right way to go? Absolutely not. Is it a problem in this country till today? Yes, yeah. it is. Okay. Um, do we need to talk about it? Absolutely. But here's something else that ticks me off. And, and this is at my black community because th this is a problem that I have with, with my own people, if you will. When they had the shooting in South Carolina, they the kept church? the church. Yes. Okay. I just they wanted to clarify that in my head. So I'm with you and everybody else is following you. Go ahead. Right. Um, you know, people kept yelling. We need to talk about racism. We need to talk about racism. Well, a white pastor who I know personally, and I'm not going to mention his name, mm -hmm. wrote a letter to that church wanting to engage in a conversation on racism. And the reason why this person did it is because they are just like you, Dave, uh, David. They like diversity. They like diversity so much, they adopted a bunch of people, a bunch of kids that's not even their own color, if you will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. He didn't get a response back. 
All right. And that, when I heard that, it ticked me off because here you are yelling, we need to have this discussion. And when somebody engages or tries to engage in a conversation on this topic, you completely ignore it. That's been happening to me, Brandon, personally, because I promised Vera, who is a dear old friend, um, that I would try to talk about it. And I, I, I can't find people to come on the show and talk about it. White, black, uh, any person of color that identifies as a person of color to come on and talk about racism. They just don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it, but they complain about it. And yes. that's, that's detrimental to the country and it's detrimental to the generation coming up behind us. Well, I'm, this is a, I have these moments. You may not have listened to any podcast. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that to guilt you into it. It's okay to, if you haven't, but I have tinfoil hat moments. So this is one of them. I, don't believe in a two-party system. I don't trust any elected politician today. I don't, any of them. I think they're all corrupt. And I think personally, and I'm giving you this preamble to make a point. So I think that anybody who starts off innocently enough gets elected, especially at a federal level, hmm. they learn all of the benefits that come with it. And then they covet that and they just do anything they can to become reelected, to keep those benefits and to keep that going. And they therefore become corrupt in the process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, David, I 100% agree with you. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying that and, um, shoot, why was I saying that? <laughs> I get in that soapbox and then I just go off crazy. And then this is, this is why it's an unedited unscripted show because we're strangers. We're having a conversation. You know what? This type of, of brain fart for lack of a better term. Happens. You're getting, you're getting and, old. It's okay. Oh, for goodness <laughs> sakes. No, it's because I had a point, and then it, my point was too deep for me to 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 too long of a preamble. If I remember, I'll remember. Well, um, I, I'm gonna add. I'm gonna add to the whole racism talk. Um, a lot of people that yell they want to talk about racism, they don't want to talk about it when they get confronted, is because they're the racist ones themselves. And th that's a bold statement, I know. Hmm. But think about it. I've never thought about that before. That way before. I think about it because if somebody approached me and say, Brandon, we got to talk about racism. Well, what are you doing on such and such a date? Let, let's have this discussion. Okay. Uh, let's talk about it. What are ways we can fix this? All right. But most people that claim, and, and, and I'm, I'm speaking because I can speak from this point because I am black, if you will. When a black person yells, the white person does X, Y, Z, the white person could go get a job X, Y, Z. I'm not going to lie. I see what they're talking about. Okay. I understand they can't get certain jobs um, because they don't have the college degree. I understand they can't get certain jobs because they don't have the experience. I understand they can't get certain jobs because they're not the color they need to be. I get it. I see it. It's wrong. But if you're not qualified, if you don't have the degree, shut up. <laughs> okay. Now, if you have the degree, you have the experience and you get overlooked, keep trying harder. Yes, make a statement about it and then move on. Don't dwell on it. That's the problem with racism, okay? They dwell on the thing that is keeping them down instead of working and defeating the thing that's keeping them down, okay? The reason why I think like I think is because of my faith. You can call me indoctrinated by white folks, whatever you wanna call it, but I have come to the conclusion that I was put on this earth for a reason. And my mission is the mission that God wants me to have. Okay. So if like, I'm a cop, I am not liked 
by the people I work with. Now, I'm saying that loosely, okay? I'm not liked by some of the people I work with. I'm not liked by the people in my community sometimes. But what do I do? Do I sit there and dwell on that? No. I talk about it. I get upset about it. And then I try my best to move on because I'm going to go for bigger and better. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I, I completely love that you do that. And if I can assist with the racism thing, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my opinion. I'm going to listen for the other person's opinion. And then the question is, what can we do to fix it? Okay. What can we do to fix it? But then when we start making you know, steps to fix the problem, nobody wants to accept it because they want to stay in that racist state, if you will. And they want to use that to have an excuse on why they can't get ahead in life. And I'm sorry, I am not one that's going to tolerate that. Because if you are an able body that can work and can go to school and can get an education, do it. I'm going to tell you to do it. Okay, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, you know, you know, yeah, you're black. It's hard for us. No, absolutely not. We are all human beings. We all bleed red. We all have the same functions. Yes, we, 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 yes, I agree with that. And that's something that I say a lot is that we have the same muscle tissue. We have the same, um, you know, hair grows the same way. Um, we breathe the same air. We will all drown in water. We, uh, we like their differences are all the differences we have are cosmetic. Mm-hmm. You know, and God what? did that for a reason, you know, and, which is good. So I, actually, if I can, I remembered my point. So thank you for. Yes, go, go. So my point, my ultimate point with the whole political tinfoil hat moment was what would happen if we actually all got along? And my point there is like, I don't trust the, I went down the, I don't trust politicians because they, and like you said, the media, politicians, etc. they benefit. Like for example, gerrymandering, there was just mm. a federal case yeah. For the federal court, the Supreme Court said, we can't do anything about gerrymandering. Yep, this was done. And for people who don't know what gerrymandering is, they they redrew electoral lines for votes along racial lines to mm-hmm. control votes. Mm-hmm. They redraw voting districts to get the votes that they want to draw. And here's my problem with that, Okay. I am going to bash the Republican party and I will bash the democratic party. Okay. The Republicans, they sit there and say they want to give a hand up and they want to help out all people and they want to do X, Y, Z, but they have done nothing drastic to fix or basically back up what they're trying to say. Democrats, Democrats. And and it ticks me off because they, you get these people and you said it earlier they use the black community to get the vote. Absolutely. I'm sorry. They do. Brandon Queen is not going to be anybody's slave. Okay. And mm-hmm. I will, and look, I have told several white democratic people running for office when they walk up to me and say, I want to make sure you have a better life. What do you mean you? What do you mean by you? Like my life isn't good as it is right now. And one of them stopped and talked to me, you know, blacks are treated wrong, yada, yada. Oh, yeah, I agree. I looked at him. I said, but I'm not going to be your slave. I'm not going to be your spokesperson. 
I'm not going to be the person you bring up and say, you know, we help this person come from here. I'd rather drown in my poverty before I sell my soul to you to use me as a slave. Not going to happen. Same thing goes for the Republican Party. As I told you, like, I don't trust any party. I don't. I, I, we are not, they don't have our best interests at heart. They really no. don't. What they do, and, and the reason I say that, and here's my proof and my pudding all at the same time, anybody that's listening is, how long ago have they already started recampaigning for office? How much time do they spend campaigning versus working for you? And then also how many issues that you really care about have they tackled? Ask yourself those things, look into them, and you'll get the answer. I got to say, I got to say, I do know some really good politicians who actually care and who actually work. And let's take the governor for Louisiana, for example. Um, I have my views on abortion. Yes, I am pro-life. I don't care if I get hate mail for saying it. Yes, I'm pro-life. And I was very happy and surprised that our governor, who is Democrat, which the Democrats are for pro-choice, this Democratic governor happens to be pro-life and passed a bill that I deeply care about. If he didn't do anything else right in office, he did that one thing that I care about. Was it for, for his own political gain? Probably, but I can tell you right now, this is going to probably destroy his career because he's pro-life. But he took yeah. a stance because this is something everybody cares about. And I, I commend I, him for that. I would like to see how that, we'll, we'll have to see how that, that plays out. Um, yeah. But there's a few things, and then I, I, I'm sorry, we need to wrap up. But I do yeah. want to, to say that um, I'll end with the faith comment. But um, I, like, I want to go back to your comment about it's a, it's a church perception, right? So one of, and this actually kind of ties in with my faith, is that my, I don't feel like my faith is wavering, but I sour on organized religion. Mm -hmm. And when I look at the stodgy white congregation that I have, that is Catholicism, especially where I am now. I mean, although where I am now, I'm in Houston, it's very fortunate. We have a very large Hispanic population. So at least it's not just all white people. Although technically speaking, my view on Hispanic people is they're technically white because they're from Spain. That's what makes them Hispanic. But, (laughs) then there's the i get in i've talked to somebody about this on a previous podcast about what it's like being puerto rican in america because people think he's not even a u.s citizen but uh newsflash puerto rico is a territory he's a u.s citizen but anyway so there are differences i understand the people that are from um origins of american indians and by the way there's three americas for anybody that's listening north central and south it's all america just want to Go on record by saying that. Thank so you. <laughs> an, American, an American Indian can be from any one of those regions. Um, I understand how they want to separate themselves out, but the Spanish part of them is technically European. I just see them as a little bit darker white people. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't mean, I, I hope nobody gets mad at me for that, but that's, I mean, you're European, just like the rest of us that are have European heritage. Now I have heritage that comes from further east, um, so I'm a little bit, uh, darker than some white people, but, you know, still lighter than darker people. But anyway, 
um, my point there is about the church is that it's boring. Catholic mass, and I understand it's ritualistic, is boring. The music sucks. I don't feel like the priest's homilies matter or are relevant. Um, and that's, I could do a whole episode on how I, am, I disagree with the catechism of the Catholic church about marriage and priests and all that other stuff. But I will say this, though. My favorite priests and my favorite masses are when the African priest takes over and the African congregation comes in on that one mass a month and it's a sea full of like color. There's oranges, there's greens, there's beautiful dresses, there's beautiful people. It's all sorts of colors and the music is more upbeat. The people singing aren't just mouthing the words. They are actually singing and you can feel, look, I don't care who you are. If you don't look at who your favorite singer is, you can feel what they're singing. Mm -hmm. Singers who you don't feel what they're singing, you don't know who they are. The whole mass takes a different thing. That's why I love going to my friends' black churches. And I'm, I'm being probably a racist by saying this, but there's always more feeling. And, and, and also, I'll just say this. I'm a, I'm a religious racist too, I guess. I don't know how everyone wants to say that. <laughs> like outside of Catholicism, like I feel like there's also more feeling behind things and things get a little bit more lively all the way to the non-denominational one. That's just like a concert. Um, don't get me started well I mean you and I I mean honestly I do struggle so like we can either talk about this on a different episode or if you could coach me offline like I struggle with organized religion in general I feel like it's a means to control okay um, so but I, I anyway do, I digress so okay can I speak on that real quick please go ahead all right I do slightly agree with what you're saying about organized religion as it being a method of control okay let me ask you one question. Do you read your Bible on your own? I do. Okay. That's probably why you're having those feelings about the Catholic church. I am not Catholic, so I'm not going to speak against their faith. I'm not going to do that. What I will say is if you read your scripture and you look at first and second Timothy and you look at the epistles of Paul and how he set the church up in an organized way, you'd understand why there's organized religion, if you will. Okay. Christianity is an organized religion. It's an organized system. It's the way the churches are governed that makes the difference. Yes. It's the way the word of the gospel is preached. That makes the difference. It's the style of worship that makes the difference. Now I'm not going to speak on a Catholic faith, but on, on a Presbyterian uh, system, we are of the reformed faith. We're not about the feelings. Okay. Um, which could be a bad thing and a good thing. Um, we're strictly about the gospel. What does the word of God say? That is what we want the people to know. We're going to send them home with this message. We're going to tell them to read the Bible. We're going to tell them to get the understanding for themselves. If they have questions, come back and ask. It's, it's a covenant. Okay. If I'm a pastor, which I do inspire to be one day, if I'm a pastor and I, and I, I pastor a congregation, it is going to be a relationship, a covenantal relationship. If you are a member of my church, David, and you have questions, it is my job to help you get the answers to those questions. Not to just go sit and listen to a sermon and just mouth a bunch of words and then go home and whatever. Yep. No, I'm going to make sure that you are 
diving into the word and understanding. And that leads me to this point, and then I'm going to shut my mouth. Law enforcement officers need correction. First responders need their faith. They need to be in a church that loves them, cares for them, and is preaching the gospel the right way. I highly urge every person in law enforcement, uh, firefighter, EMS, nurses, I, I highly push that these people, including myself, go to a church because that is how you're going to separate yourself from the things that go on in life. This is how I'm able to continue to do this job and do it well is because I have my faith and I have a church family that supports and loves me. And then I know the gospel. <laughs> okay. That, that's a key point. I know the gospel. I know there's something better out there for me than just going to work and dealing with ignorant people and dealing with murders and what have you. There's something out there greater. And that's what I look for. Well, that's, um, I agree that there is something out there greater. Uh, and that's a whole, another rabbit hole. Um, but we've definitely gone a long time. So there's a lot we could talk about, but I want to just make sure like, did we, there's, I feel like there's some unresolved things, but that's just my perception. But I want to make sure like, did we cover a lot of the misperceptions today that you wanted to let people know that the reality is different because you're on the other side. Did, did, did I at least help you there? Did, did we do a good job with that? We did. And if you're willing to do another episode, I'm all game. Um, I think we did. Uh, there's one we didn't cover. Um, not all cops eat donuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just awesome. Um, that is the fact, Jack. Um, that 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 is true, uh, and people do need to to understand. <laughs> um, you know, although coffee, um, police officers do drink coffee, and you know what? Who else drinks coffee? Everybody else on the planet. <laughs> yeah, especially mornings. I gotta have my coffee. <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing. I don't, and, and I'm just gonna make this statement, and then we've gotta totally wrap up because I'm getting the. Uh, the the boss is uh she's she's uh it's getting late here in, in houston but anyway um what i think and what i don't like is that and, and i'm gonna start off they were, they've just done a recent study and i'm a, I'm a bicyclist that oh, cool. drivers on the road perceive cyclists as less than human which is why they roll call on us they will close pass by us they will insult us. They will throw Chick-fil-A cups uh, uh, at us, which has happened to friends. It hasn't happened to me. I, I have not had, I've had close passes and I've had people like honk at me and like kind of roll up on me and like honk and stuff. I haven't had been anything thrown at me. I haven't had coal rolled on me, but they've, they've done the study and worldwide people see cyclists as less than human. Wow. One, I don't understand because we're human beings on a bicycle. And no, we can't go on a sidewalk because we're considered in most states a moving vehicle. We need to be on the road. And you know what? Um, not all motorists are cyclists, but the statistic is incredible. Like it's a 92% of cyclists are motorists. So when you say you're my tax money, this, that, and the other thing, guess who else pays taxes? Yeah. Uh, this guy. I haven't um, been on a bike for a long time, but I get the feeling. So my, my making that a point is like, please, PSA people, we're human beings too. 
And, and you know what, when we're riding at 18 or plus miles, per, forget it. When, when we're riding above like 10 miles per hour, it is completely unsafe for us to be on a sidewalk. Mm-hmm. There are, sidewalks are for pedestrians, for, they're for moms with strollers, they're for dads with strollers, they're for kids on skateboards, they're for, you know, they're not for a bicycle traveling at 12 miles per hour above, especially when you're riding like, I don't, I'm not a good rider and I, I average 18 miles per hour on my, my rides. So that's, can you imagine 18 miles per hour on a sidewalk? That's good, by the way. No, I mean, the people I hang with are like, or try to hang with her at like 20, 22. They're like, oh, but still, you're you're not that far behind them. (laughs) Give yourself credit. All right, I I will. Um, It's taken me a while to get there. And I want people just look, that is my own perception of my performance that I want. I'm trying to get someplace else and I'm not there yet. So that's what you're hearing. I did not start off there. I started as a 12 mile per hour cyclist. I worked up to 18 miles per hour average speed. Um, so, you know, by the way, that means that going up a hill, I might go nine miles per hour up a steep hill, but on the other side, I might be doing 30. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like You're right. there's, you, what goes up must come down. And I, re, I literally say that to myself on the way up a hill, what goes up must come down. And I struggle up a hill, but you know, it's again, it's an average mile per hour. You could do it too. Just do it. Okay. It's fun. It's healthy. Um, so my jump is to police officers. And I'm not saying people view you as less than human, but I feel like we all view each other as less than human. And I feel like police officers take a negative road. Yes. And one thing I wanted to say to you earlier is maybe one bad apple ruins the bunch. And I can say that across the board. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've had one example of, a, of one like i've had bad and encounters like I, I talked about mine but does that i personally am not letting that sour my opinion of every police officer on the planet it's not going right. to happen that's just who i am as a person that's not going to happen have i had a run-in with um angry white people angry black people angry hispanic people angry you know fill in the blank yes i have is that souring my opinion of every one of those people that represent their race? No. You know why? Because they're human beings. They don't represent an entire race. Right. One police officer or one, like you said, you're not judging people as you roll up because each, each case is different. Thank you. Each yeah. case is different. So I guess I'm just asking people. And obviously my listeners are the best listeners in the world and none of them would ever, ever treat uh, anybody with uh, disrespect but um, how many listeners do you have if you don't mind me asking uh, right now my average is right around 35 36 it depends week over week so that's the average downloads Um, I do have episodes that spike downloads up into the 160s and I have some episodes that don't do much again it's just a moving target but the average is right around 35 36 Okay. So I'm not, somewhere not, in a fifties to seventies ballpark. Nice. Do, but yeah. let me ask you this. Do you advertise at all? Do you do anything? Cause I do nothing. I advertise. <laughs> I don't do anything. And every single one of these people that you found me, thank you for that. Cause you found me. I don't do, I, I, I well, uh, let me say this. I do post on my Facebook page and I do post on Instagram. That's, and I do put it on my website. Those are the three things that I do. And I only post once a week. I do the same. Um, part of my, if I could share, you can cut this part out if you like. Yeah, I but don't if, edit. Uh, okay. Well, 
<laughs> part of my process is, um, for example, like let's say I was interviewing you, uh, I would record this this episode, and I usually record two to three episodes in one day. Um, I, I always like to be ahead, and that's for a reason. I'm OCD, but I, I piece together a commercial of the episode, and I put it to an audiogram, and then that audiogram is posted to Twitter, Facebook. Um, uh, and Instagram, those three platforms. I don't have a website yet. I'm still working up to that because I don't ask my listeners to support me. But oh, um, I don't either. Yeah, I do this for fun. But I do, I do those three things and I make that commercial and then that commercial is added to the beginning of my episode. Um, and there's a reason for that, but I'm not going to say it. But anyway, that commercial is added to the beginning of the episode. So when you go to my podcast and you want to know what the episode's about, listen to the commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't like it, move on to the next one, whatever. Uh, but that's how I do my advertisement. I just, I put a little bit more extra work into it than most people do. No, no, that that's fair. And I probably should, but again, this is my hobby. And I say this to everybody that I do. Time is your most valuable asset. Be careful how you spend it. So this mm-hmm. is my hobby. And, and quite frankly, I go to an extreme to not do these things because I want people to hear just the raw whatever. And if they find me and they like it, then great. If they find me and they don't like it, thanks for trying. Um, I mean, my podcast is on theology. I didn't think people would listen to it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, know? because it's important, but um, yeah, we'll definitely have to talk um, more specifically about several other things. Uh, I have a lot of repeat guests. It's, it's awesome. Um, so I guess we'll just wrap up and I'll just say thanks for being here with me. Um, it was awesome. Long conversation. Um, I'm glad that we were able to, to, to talk. Um, and um, I did mention you on this week's episode when I was talking to Junaid about cycling and I was telling him that you had internet problems because I was using you as like, you are human and <laughs> these things are acceptable to me. Like you had internet problems. And I was like, Junaid, have you ever met anybody on the face of this planet that hasn't had an internet problem? <laughs> and he was like, he thought about it for a second. He was like, no, 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 not at all. Nope. And I was like, so yeah. these things happen. And it, I, I was making the point of like how it's okay to be human. And that's what I want to showcase tears. It's okay to be. Human. Yeah. We had an outage in the area and I was like, at this time, really? <laughs> nah, that's fine. So, um, I hope that I've done this part of what we're going to talk about and we'll table it and talk about faith or racism or whatever you want to talk about next. Um, uh, but I, uh, what was I going to say? I had one other thing about the white people comment in church and how boring it is. Um, but I really, I missed my favorite congregation just to wrap that up was the Memphis congregation. We were a very mixed congregation. Everything just like the whole vibe was better. And again, I'm just saying like everybody, I want you to think about it. What would happen if we all got along? Seriously, what would happen if we all got along? We would look like Revelation 7-9. And whether you're religious or not, because I do have some atheists that listen, uh, you have to admit the beauty in that passage is more, it it transcends Mm -hmm. just religion. Yeah. So um, on that note, Brandon, thanks a lot for being here and spending your time with me. And again, I do value everything that people, I do sincerely believe what I say and I practice what I preach. Time is your most valuable asset. You are willing to give me, I don't even know how long, like in two hours today, I don't even know. (laughs) Thank you for spending the time with me. Now, before we go, 
We talked about your podcast a little bit, but tell everybody again what it is and where they find you. All right. Well, uh, I don't like selling myself, but I guess I have to. So You have to. It's required. <laughs> All right. Uh, I am the host of the EAR podcast, which stands for The Evangelical and Reformed. And at that, on that uh, podcast, we talk about life, theology, Christianity, uh, and just general things around faith and how, you know, we're to act as Christians or how we're to, you know, do certain things or whatever. So right now I'm currently in season two, which I think I got a few more episodes left in that season where we talk about the beauty of the local church. And I do have an episode that I'm piecing together and I think you should listen to it. It's going to be called the beauty of the local church through diversity. Oh, I'll, uh, definitely listen to that one, yeah. I'll have a, one or two guests on there with me talking about diversity in, in several ways and, um, and how, you know, people that walk away from the church need to reconsider because it's not the church that has the issue. It's us. And we are all sinners going to church. We're all broken people yeah. going. And the joy is we have, a, we have a savior. So you can find me on anchor.fm forward slash elder queen. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash earful podcast. Same thing on Instagram. And on Twitter, I go by BQ Photos because I also do photography. Awesome. So well, that's where you can find me. Thank you for that, everybody. And my episode was posted today, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> today is the day after the 4th of July, for all of you wondering what day it is that we're recording this. It's July 5th. All right. Thank you, David. All right. Well, thanks a lot for being here. And everybody, thanks again for listening. If you want to contact me, you know how to get a hold of me. It's at PIR Podcast across all social media and it's pirpodcast at gmail.com or you can leave either one of us anchor allows you to leave us a voice message through anchor you don't even need the app you can just listen on the web and leave us a message or you can leave me a voice message at 585-210-0240 that's my um, straight to voicemail and you can leave me a message there um, talk about anything and if you want to get a hold of Brandon, leave me a message or contact him directly, and I'll make sure that you're in touch. Um, so that's the how to get a hold of me and him. And thanks all for listening. Brandon, thanks again for joining. All right, man. Thank you.